2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
1: Hear the full show
3: on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie.
2: Now, I want to go straight
4: to Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Cullum Kelleher, because the Irish Refugee Council has been saying it would be a disaster if Ireland had to house Ukrainian refugees in tents or warehouses, although ministers have been informed that the state could run out of beds by Easter. There's 900 refugees a day coming in every day now, roughly. And if that were to continue, then in 10 days' time, we'd have nowhere to accommodate those who are coming. That's according to the Minister of State at the Office of Public Works, Patrick O'Donovan, who said the government would have to come up with temporary measures. Lord Mayor, they're more than welcome. We must help them, but we're running out of places to put them. Good morning.
5: Good morning, PJ. Yeah, look, um, they are more than welcome. They're, they're, these uh, Ukrainian nationals are fleeing a war zone. Um, and anything we can do as a state um, and as a local authority to help them, uh, we have to do. And, you know, to echo the words of the Taoiseach when the Ukrainian, ambas- or Ukrainian president addressed the joint session of the Oireachtas, um our home will be their home for as long as it takes. Um, but that does prove... Um, you know that's easier, I suppose, said than done in relation to logistics and housing people because the Minister Burke referenced there on, on the news yesterday that we're effectively going to increase the state's population by this population of Cork. Yeah. So we do we do have um, you know, a a mammoth task ahead of us. It it is achievable. Um, I, sat, I met with Ukrainian ambassador yesterday, uh, we briefed her in City Hall um, on how the city is responding to the influx of Ukrainian nationals, um, and look, she was very impressed with what we had done to date, um, and we do have uh, emergency measures in place going forward. Thankfully, you know, um, every national that has come into the city um, has been given safe and secure and private accommodation. Um, And, you know, that would be my hope going forward.
4: As I've no doubt, I don't need to remind you, Lord Mayor, we also are doing our level best to accommodate as many refugees as we can take in in the midst of our own very biting housing crisis here in the city.
5: Completely, completely. And someone said to me yesterday, "Is is it a perfect storm?" I don't know. Um, but look, we have to deal with the challenges that are presented before us and continue to house um, our own citizens that are on our housing list. Um, and in inference to the housing department, allocations are up uh, in the last month. Um, and they're chipping away at the list. Um, the whole time. But like, I've no like. I've no belief that, you know, our own housing needs um, are going to be, for our own citizens, are going to be impacted uh, by the influx of Ukrainian nationals. Because, um, like people on the housing list, for example, PJ, would go through the CBL process. They would bid on uh, local authority houses that are coming back into stock and stuff like that. None of the city council stock is being considered uh, at all at all. For uh, housing mm. uh, Ukrainian nationals, and what's been looked at is disused hostels, uh, disused hotels, the Cork Airport Hotel, for instance. Um, I spoke to the general manager of the Trigon Group up there as recently as yesterday, Aaron Mansworth, and um, they're actively working with the local authority to see what can be provided on a temporary basis um, within the hospitality sector. But that presents challenges th- then for the hospitality sector themselves. They're coming out of COVID; they, you know, they're, they've got a massive hit in the last two years of the pandemic and, um, you know, they, they have their own business model, I suppose, to take into consideration as well. But, you know, any of the hoteliers or, you know, accommodation providers across the city, temporary accommodation providers and hoteliers included, have been very engaging with uh, City Hall.
6: Yeah.
4: It is, like you say, the, the perfect storm, Lord Mayor.
5: Yeah. Look, if someone said mentioned that to me yesterday. It, it looks like a perfect storm. As I said, I don't, I don't think it will be. We, as I said, we prior to the Ukrainian ambassador um, coming to City Hall yesterday, and myself and the chief executive briefed her on uh, the efforts that we're putting in place as a local authority through our Community Safety Forum, which was set up for COVID, which is now transitioned for Ukrainian and migrant nationals uh, coming into the city. Um, it's, it's not going to be easy, PJ, and there's no two ways about it, but um, I have to, you know, give credit where credit is due. Um, everybody that was on that call yesterday, representatives of the clergy of all faiths, the fire service of Angarda Shia Cox Cork City Council, the HSC, Simon Community, you know, um, the, the IPAS, um, representatives of the Department of Foreign Affairs, everyone is thinking from the same hymn sheet here now. We need to do our level better for these nationals. Mm. They have been dragged you know, by no, but not but against their will, out of their own country, and a lot of these men are women and children and and, yeah. and elderly people. They've left sons and daughters and husbands or, or mm-hmm. husbands and uh, sons behind them. Yeah. You know, who are still fighting. And and would you um,
4: agree? And, I'm sure you would. Would you agree with the Refugee Council, Lord Mayor, that they shouldn't be going into tents or warehouses?
5: One hundred percent. And I do not want to see that. You know how? You know it. it it's it's disconcerting enough for. A human being to be taken from their homeland, to be taken from their familiar, familiar lives, their everyday lives, and then to be, you know, I suppose landed and in effectively inside, in a, you know, as you said, a warehouse uh, with 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 camp beds and stuff like that. I, that's that's not. I don't see any dignity in that for any human being to be quite honest with you personally. Right. Um, and that's something that I do. I do not think that we're are we're anywhere near that stage. Um, and I hope that we we well, never reach that stage. If, if you're listen you know,
4: li- listening to the Minister for State at the OPW, we're only 10 days out from that, realistically.
5: You know, provide, providing it's, it stays stagnant and there isn't alternative accommodations um, and alternative, um, you know, buildings uh, found. Um, but we, I know every local authority, and even even Cork County Council, who surround Cork City Council as the, its neighbouring local authority, are working hand-in-hand hand with us um, and we're, we're, we're exploring every avenue whatsoever. Like there's people been offering up vacant houses, there's people been offering up vacant hostels, uh, disused hotels. All of those avenues uh, are being explored at the moment and are being actively explored. And, you know, it's it just, they need to be given, you know, the support and the care from our nation and from our city. Like our city's mar- uh, motto is a safe harbour for all ships. Um, and I spoke with the Ukrainian ambassador yesterday, and she was telling me of a, a relative of hers who was in a, a defence legion outside Mariupol when the Rus- Russians withdrew. And PJ, I won't even say what she what she said to me. I actually brought a tear to my eye of what they're experiencing okay. and what they came what the Ukrainian forces came across when they went back into Mariupol. It's barbaric and something that only a monster would do.
4: Okay. Leave it there. Lord Mayor, thank you very much. Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Cullen Kelleher. We have the News Department Mayor Moraid was speaking to the Ukrainian ambassador uh, Loiske Gerasko yesterday
2: and we'll let you hear some of what she had to say next.
7: Can we just talk
3: the
2: Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Can we just
7: talk?
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Call us now. 0818 96, 96, 96. On
2: Cork's 96FM. Yeah, on the subject
4: of housing uh, the Ukrainian refugees and... To remind you again what the Irish Refugee Council has said, they've said we're only about 10 days out from having to put them into tents or warehouses. And yesterday when she visited Cork, uh, the ambassador, Her Excellency uh, Larissa Girasco, was asked about the possibility of the refugees being housed in warehouses.
8: I know that Ireland... Um is facing housing um, problem uh, even before uh, such a big uh, wave of of immigrants. uh, And um, I'm fully aware that uh, there are some problems with the accommodation, but um, I was assured by... Red Cross and by the government so they that uh, they will uh, do everything possible in order to um, to provide um, I would say normal conditions of, of the accommodation
4: the minister or the ambassador also was also asked about what the refugees need when they get here um, jobs she was saying, are very high on their agenda.
8: What our Ukrainians need um, It's uh, English courses in order to improve uh, language skills. Sometimes there are some problems um, not, not only in Cork, I mean in general in Ireland uh, with the access so not with the access to the medical uh, system but um, to find a GP or to, to, to to register their children uh, uh, at the school uh, schools because of limited capacity of course so it's so we understand this problem very well but um, the response of uh, uh, local authorities um, really very good so everyone try to help our people and of course, our people are looking for uh, work, uh, which is very important. Our uh, Ukrainians, our nation, I would say, uh, a hard worker is hard worker nation. So, you know, on the second day, uh, people try to find uh, uh, a work, and so they, they don't want, uh, you know, to to get welfare. Um, And, uh, you know, to spend your money, I mean, Irish taxpayers, so they are ready to work, like, on the second day. Uh, Of course, many people have problems with English, uh, so that is why, for instance, some doctors, uh, teachers, uh, other professionals, so um, they couldn't get, like, Professional jobs, so that, that is why they, they need uh, um, to pass through uh, like f- further education courses, uh, something like that, uh, in order to get a profession probably a little bit less qualified, but it's temporary because uh, most of our Ukrainians are ready to to learn English, etc. etc. and to 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 improve their. Uh, skills.
4: Speaking in Cork yesterday, Ukrainian ambassador uh, to Ireland, Her Excellency Larissa Gerasko, uh, talking about what they need when they get here. They need English lessons, many of them and they need jobs. They want to come they want to work, they want to contribute when they get here 0818 96 96, 96. Uh, hello opinion line, loads of empty Airbnbs around, 200 of them In Kinsale, 10% of that would help. Hi PJ, we're a small island country. We're not in the position, financially or otherwise, to accommodate. Our own are on their knees. There are queues outside penny dinners. And a lot of those who are working are already in poverty, I presume you mean. Uh, Shiona, thanks for that. PJ, it's awful for the Ukrainians, but it's typical from the government not helping the Irish. Trying to free up all these houses for refugees, but couldn't do it for the Irish. That's a joke of a country. And then this one, what, why not use the multitude of underused holiday homes? The coastal towns are littered with mobile home parks. Just suck it up for a year. Presumably, that person wants people to give up their mobile home in Oanhinsha, or Yall, or Gary or wherever, for a season to house Ukrainian refugees. I wonder what you think of
2: that.
9: Can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, big, big show, 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 radio. radio, radio, radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. morning.
10: Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with
3: Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Can
7: we just
2: talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Text or WhatsApp now. 83
2: 396 96 96. On Quartz
3: 96
4: FM. Now we talked about the cost of fuel many times on the program. The increasing cost of petrol and diesel. Both of which have gone up again. I don't know if you noticed it over the last few days. But the 15 cent that came off the diesel in terms of excise. That's gone back up. And... I think petrol, looking at the prices coming in this morning, I think that's gone up again. But my heart goes out to anybody who's trying to heat their house with oil because the CSO, Central Statistics Office, has confirmed that the price of home heating oil, I'm not laughing, I'm absolutely bewildered by this, the price of home heating oil has doubled in the past year. Christian McCashin is writing about this in the Irish Daily Mail this morning. Christian, that's incredible. How do people sustain that? Good morning.
6: Good morning. It, it is extraordinary. It's a case of during the pandemic, airlines weren't flying, and uniquely in Ireland, Britain as well, we use jet fuel for home heating oil, bizarrely. It's just a quirk in the, in the way that we get our fuel. Kerosene, but, right? Yeah. Kerosene, exactly, yeah. And because during the lockdown there was no... There were no airlines flying. There was a glut of this fuel around. So the people who had it had to get rid of it. So it's, the price has dropped. And now we're seeing the return of people flying. So there's more demand. And the classic economic solution to that is put the price up. And that's what's happened. Um, luckily, that we are entering the summer now, the, or the warmer months of spring and summer, so there's less demand. But I think this this kind of elevated price is going to f- carry on because we have we home heating oil is at a very low price for for quite a while. But a, a, a thousand liter tank, which is about the fill you nor know, I mean th- I think most people fill thousand liter tank, has gone up four hundred and fifty euro. over the past year. I mean, that's an extraordinary um, rise. It is. You
4: say there was a glut, and you explained it because airlines weren't flying quite correctly. Um, There was a glut of kerosene on the market. Uh, What happened to it all, though? Because if that's the case, there should be literally tankers of it going around for half nothing, or am I just being simpleton here?
6: No, no, no. It, it was stored in tanks. In fact, at one point, when the when the price of the global price of crude fell to zero. People were desperate to get rid of it because they didn't want to have it because the price was falling and they were losing money. So tankers were sitting in harbors and in places full of oil with no demand for it. And now we're seeing the return of the economy opening up, airlines flying again. And so the demand has returned and classically in the economics, the prices shot up and unfortunately for i think the 700,000 homes in the country that's a lot of lot of families they're seeing their their home heating oil price go way up
4: mm. unsustainably so i would hate to be trying to heat my house with oil even though like you say we're coming into spring and summer but i'd hate to be trying to heat my house with oil
6: yeah it would be a tough tough to do um i mean there there is a move now as you can as you see from the government to ask people to to, to urge people to move to greener fuels such as heat pumps and trying to electrify the whole system and insulate their houses so they have to heat them less in the first place, which is which is a move I think we all have to make. Mm. But a costly one as well. Oh yeah, it's going to cost a lot. But there are grants and things like that. But well, the the bottom line of this story is is that we are paying a fortune for our here at home heating oil now.
4: Yeah. All right, Christian. It's it's not looking good, and I see your, your article in in the in the mail today talks about other things going up. Um, f- farmers are having to cut down on fertilizer. This economic crisis. I, I, I shudder to think we're only at the start of it, really.
6: Well, I mean, the inflation has tipped to hit about eight percent. We're at six point nine at the moment. Uh, so it's a, it's only going to go up, it's only going in one direction. And many people have never seen inflation figures like this. We thought as a society in, in economics that we had inflation under control and it shows that it's a, it's not and uh, things can easily get out of control. And if we don't grasp this quickly, I think things will get out of control now. Things like cooking oil, like we, we
4: would not have known, I'm sure, I certainly wouldn't, for example, that Ukraine was one of the world's biggest suppliers of sunflower oil, which goes into so many cooking products.
6: Yeah, that, that, that was an unusual quirk in the news that came out. I didn't realize that either. Um, and Russia as well, that we get so much of our wheat from there. Yeah. The thing is, in this country, we we have very fertile farmland, but the grain that we, we grow is... Um, we grow a lot awful lot of barley which we use to grew, uh, brew beer and whiskey and things like that and we import a lot of wheat because barley is a better cash crop yeah i
4: think yeah okay christian leave it thank you christian McCashin from the irish daily mail tato reportedly struggling now because of a, a lack of sunflower oil and a lot of uk crisp brands as well um the most popular ones. Just go into any one of your local shops. And I know, look, crisps are a luxury and we don't need them. Fine. They're lovely. We don't actually need them. But go and see how many of your snacks, your bags of stuff, crisps and all that, how many of them are cooked using sunflower oil. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot. So there'll either be a shortage or the price of a bag of tato. Will go through the roof, which again is a very small thing, but you see the bag of tato only has half what it used to have in it anyway. So if it goes up, we're in right trouble. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Couple more messages with regard to you accommodating refugees. Uh, where are we going here? Yeah, we want harmony with everyone. I'd hate to think people in Ireland would turn on the refugees. Because the situation hasn't been handled properly here. John O'Donovan says listening to the Lord Mayor listing out the people who are on board with the refugee project, I heard the HSE mentioned. Isn't it a pity the HSE were not at the meeting the other night with Anne Rabbit? Why weren't they on board with that? But a more serious point, we've just come out of a pandemic which affected the tourist dependent businesses very seriously. If they put refugees in the hotels, they won't be doing too badly. What about all the business that depends on tourism? What are the tourists going to say? Where are they going to go? If they've no place to stay, will that not extinguish all the businesses? This hasn't been thought out at all. Well, John, reportedly around the country, the cost of hotel accommodation has started to go through the roof because a lot of hotels are being taken up with refugees. I was trying to book a hotel in Dublin in November. Uh, for something I'm going to. And, like, it's by watering the cost of hotel rooms in Dublin next winter. So I can imagine what it's going to be like during the year. Another one, I heard the Lord Mayor saying it's not right to put Ukrainians in tents and warehouses. Of course, he's correct. But why is it all right, then, to put Irish people into tents? I can't understand how he can say that without reference to the tented city at the Mardike and special measures to end the suffering there. And we should be able to look after everybody. Another development in the last day or two with regard to the story of Owen uh, Last month, the me- members of the Oireachtas Health Committee came to Cork, walked the site at Owen walked the site at Sarsfield's Court, uh, met a number of them afterwards. There's now been another development And I've been speaking to Councillor Liam Quaid again. Liam, another month, another Onukura, another chapter in the Onukura story. This will be seen as very positive. Am I right in thinking that the Health Committee of the Erectus, members of which I met in Sarsfield's court only a month ago, have now written to the Minister and said, do not close that centre?
7: That's right, PJ. Uh, the statement from the the Aireachtas Health Committee was very encouraging for families because um, it very clearly called for that reversal of the closure. And families are so used to hearing the same kind of mechanical, detached responses back from local managers to the issues that they're raising that don't address their concerns. So it was really refreshing that the Health Committee, you know, whose words carry great weight, Uh, got to the heart of the matter with such a clear and straightforward and supportive statement. And I think in that statement, the unfairness of the the closure was very uh, clearly acknowledged. Um, Something that myself and families have emphasised in our recent communications with committee members was the kind of prolonged limbo that that residents have been left in um, and how damaging that can be to a person's well-being for that to kind of continue indefinitely. Um, I've worked myself as a psychologist in the mental health services for many years and in that role or in any clinician role, if you're supporting somebody um, you'll be very mindful of when a therapeutic alliance is coming to an end because that can be quite a destabilizing time for for, for a person that you're working with. And you'll strive to plan that ending out you know, over a a long period of time usually and ensure if possible that the person isn't you know, taken by surprise or is unclear about when that um, support is concluding. And what what the Onukura residents have been facing since last June is not one therapeutic alliance being concluded, but all of their alliances at once with a number of clinicians. And they're also losing all their connections in the community all at the same time and much worse than that they don't know if this will be happening in a few weeks or in six weeks or a few months. Um, I think for any of us even if our mental health is robust to not know when you're going to lose your long-standing home and many of your important connections would be deeply unsettling but you you can imagine how much worse that can be for somebody with severe mental health difficulties. Um, So aside from the closure itself being unjust and wrong this uncertainty runs the risk of being profoundly destabilising to a person um, with those mental health difficulties.
4: What's particularly strong within the statement is that the committee says that the closure is, and if I'm reading this incorrectly, Liam, tell me, the closure is in contravention of government policy.
7: That's right. Now they, they cite uh, the sharing division document. Um, they, uh, they, the The managers themselves cited a vision for change, which was a a more concrete document um, from from a a good number of years back. But A Vision for Change set out exactly the staffing levels that um, were required per population um, across each service. And for a population the size of the East Cork HSE catchment, which is almost 100,000 people, um, you would have to have 30 placement beds. So 30, 24-hour staffed placement beds. Mm. Um, At at its peak, Ownacora had 24. Uh, some of those rooms were shared but it has capacity for twenty single uh, single rooms and um there was nineteen as we know there when the closure was announced and the proposal now is that we remove all of those and they serve not just Middleton but they serve mm. you know a vast catchment area from, from um Yall to Cove and Glenville. Yeah. Um so it makes no sense in terms of um government policy.
4: Yeah, It contravenes what they call sharing the vision. Now, the minister responsible here is Mary Butler. Hmm. She doesn't have to take this recommendation on board, and even if she does, hmm. does she have the power to order the HSE to reverse the decision?
7: Well, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a a very important kind of cautionary point, because while families really welcome the statement, and it's been very uplifting, um, they've been on a very difficult journey, and they're aware that Um, while the Health Committee's words, you know, are significant and they have authority to them. Um, And and all the more so, I think, because the Committee is made up of TDs and senators from all parties, government and opposition. But, as you said, the power to intervene um, directly, the the power to compel the HSE to take any action, um, that that isn't uh, within the the gift of the Committee. But it does lie with government. And the HSE is, is is meant to be accountable, not just to the public, but to public representatives. And ultimately, Mary Butler, uh, Minister Mary Butler, will be the person to sign off on disclosure if it goes ahead. Right. And I'm really, really appealing to her to take on not only um, the Health Committee's very strong statement, but the whole accumulation of facts yeah. that we've had over the past nine does, months.
4: Does Minister Donnelly not have a role here? Is it entirely Minister Butler's gift?
7: I think Minister Butler would be the the most uh, directly responsible Mm. and obviously mental health is is, um, part of the overall Department Department of Health but I think she she does really have the the last call here. Um,
4: So she can, if she wishes to do so, chooses to do so, she can ask the HSE to to reverse the decision. Unfortunately, she has no power to enforce that.
7: No, she does have the power to enforce it. Well,
4: she She does. Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah. that, that that's strong because I know she can add. There is always this separation of HSE and department, but well, my, she she has the power to tell them not to do this.
7: My understanding is that that's definitely the case, and I think that's the whole point of, of governments. You know that um, they're the the ultimate authority, and they tend the government tend to defer to um, departments and to the civil service. And that's generally fair enough because they're the people working on the ground. But I think what we've seen here is uh, both a building rationale and a service provision rationale that just haven't stood up to scrutiny. Mm. And I I think crucially, the service needs to be safeguarded, not just for the current residents, but for the many other people in East Cork Mm. who require respite placement and who currently do not have a local 24-hour staffed service. Um, Like in one way, at least for current residents, their plight is receiving a lot of coverage and recognition. Mm. But this other group of people who are, you know, perhaps living at home with ageing parents who are unable to cope or maybe languishing in long-stay wards or in and out of acute um, admissions, they're invisible and their needs are very significant. And currently, if you live in in North Cork, you have access to um, 42 community-based single en-suite placements. Now, that service, um, it's spread across three towns in North Cork. That's highly valued. There's, mm. there's generally a waiting list of local service users to, to get into those placements. Mm. Um, and people sometimes stay there for quite a long time because sure. they need that. But if you're in East Cork at the moment, you have no local community-based option. Yeah. The last time Onacara took in a new client was last February.
4: It is nine months approximately, Liam Quaid, since you and I first discussed this uh, this situation. Is there Are there grounds for hope today? like there haven't been for quite some time?
7: I, I would definitely like to think so. Um, I, I think the experience so far of some of us working on this campaign, and particularly for families, is that we're meeting closed doors um, at every turn. But I, I do think I, I really want to commend the, the Health Committee and the Mental Health Committee. And and also, I, you know, that the, there are other issues I've raised with the Public Accounts Committee, and they're pursuing those. But I, I, I think they've really... Um, given families a sense that there, there are people in authority who, who are willing to, to not just take all of this at face value um, and to, to really scrutinise what's going on. Okay. Um, and I, I, I think it's a credit to families how much they've really um, expressed the, the, the human impact of this and how that has you know, helped, helped reach uh, the, the committee members as well. And I think it's a huge credit to, to your show and, and to the coverage we've gotten in the examiner in particular. Um, and, and on C103 as well um, we've been able to put that, that human impact out there
4: Liam, we'll live in hope as always and we'll talk again, no doubt on, on this ongoing story, thank you very much
7: thanks very much PJ
4: That's, uh, Liam, Liam Quaid, Councillor Liam Quaid of the Green Party the man who brought this story to us uh, last July and we said then and we repeat now we will not let this one go until it's resolved some way or other. But it does look promising. It's now in Mary Butler's lap. It's on her desk. Please do not let the HSE close this centre, coming from the Health Committee, which is one of the most powerful committees in the Erechters. What will she do? We can only wait and see. The Lock Scout Group is opening its doors to uh, Ukrainian Refugees who want to join, and there will be no registration fees. Aoife Rigney, Aoife, good morning.
11: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
4: Good. You also got a fundraiser coming up this Sunday for the Ukraine. We,
11: we do indeed. Yeah, so we've got a family fun weekend happening tomorrow and Sunday in our Scout Hall on the grounds of the Lock Church, and it's open to everybody. And uh, we'd love to see as many people as we can. And we're fundraising for. Uh, our group to try and buy a bus to get us back on the road after COVID uh, but also to cover as you mentioned there to cover the cost of uh, any Ukrainian kids that like would like to join and meet new friends and have a bit of fun they've had a tough old time so uh, we'd hope to uh, welcome them into our group and uh, let them have some fun.
4: How much I mean it's a long time since I had a child anywhere near a scout group because they've just grown out of it all how much is it now to join the scouts?
11: Um, so it's about 65 euro. Um, we pay that uh, directly to Scouting Ireland to be part of that organisation. Um, and we charge a weekly fee then of 3 euro to cover the cost of insurance and light and heat and all that for oh, the yeah. hall because it costs about yeah. 5 or 6 grand a year to keep the hall yeah, back open. In so my, back in my cost.
4: time in the 17th Cork, that was 20 pence.
9: <laughs>
11: <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> It's gone up a little bit since
4: then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And all those fees will be waived for any Ukrainian child that wants to join. I was just listening to the minister or the ambassador there earlier on from yesterday. She said one of the things they want to do when they come in is learn and improve their English. I can't see us much better than a scout group to learn that. <laughs>
11: Well, they'll certainly learn some local lingo anyway, for sure. Um, yeah, so it's, look, it's a good opportunity for them to, to meet new friends as well and, and you know, get get their English up to scratch. And we've got loads of members from, from other countries and various different backgrounds. So we've got a loads of different kind of cultural diversity, which is great. And it would be brilliant to, to get some Ukrainian kids into the group as well. And uh, yeah, just get to meet new friends is the, is the big thing.
4: Great. You've got tomorrow from 2 to 6 and then Sunday from 10 till 2. And what's happening? Exactly.
11: Yeah, so it's a a big fun weekend, big uh, Easter-themed fun weekend, so there's lots of things to do. There's a big cake sale, bouncy castles. Paint, face painting uh, making your own Easter eggs from scratch and then on Sunday at 12 o'clock we've got a big Easter egg hunt which is always a, a popular one so uh, from 2 to 6 tomorrow and then from 10 until 2 on Sunday and we're based in the grounds of the Lock Church that's where our Scout Hall is so okay. that's where we'll be and uh, yeah everybody's welcome it's, it's good fun and, and obviously for good cause as well
4: Okay the thelockscouts.ie is the website that's Aoife Rigney from the 5th Cork Scout Group at the Lock all registration fees waived for any young Ukrainians that want to join our local Scouts and their big fundraising weekend taking place at the Scout Hall over the weekend for all sorts of good charitable causes 0818 96 96 96 where did you see this yesterday um, Which now before I read this out I'm saying it's a great idea if it can be done and you are hearing a but so the Minister Minister of Social Protection Heather Humphreys wants to make a hot school meal available to every primary student student in the country over the next number of years she was speaking when she was reviewing the school meals program or launching a review of the school meals program around 230,000 children presently supported and costs about 65 million a year this school meals program and she wants to expand the program So that eventually every primary school in Ireland can avail of a hot meal a day free for any pupil that wants it. What would we think about that? On the face of it, a lovely idea. It's a great idea. And for some children, and I know talking to people that work in child support and family support, that might sometimes be the only hot meal that that child gets in the day, or the only decent meal that that child gets in the day. For children who receive it, it is very important. Should it be available to every child in the country, which is what the Minister seems to think it should be within a number of years? Not qualified to say, really. My children are long gone from primary school. And thankfully we were always in a position, we were in the privileged position, to always be able to feed them well. Give them a lunch. We never needed to avail of any programme like that. But what if, should it be available for every school child in the country that wants one? A hot meal in primary school once a day. Your thoughts, welcome.
9: Can we just
2: talk? The opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie
2: When we're adoring Adele are you thinking it's not easy on me? And has
3: our love of Justin Bieber got you not wanting to stay? Me.
2: what I the music
3: you want to hear and what songs should disappear with the corks 96 fm music panel
2: take our 10 minute music survey
3: and you could win a 100 euro penny cider
2: give it a go right now find the link on instagram facebook and twitter or see 96 fm.ie the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
3: Hear the full show on our app by podcast or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or
2: WhatsApp 083 396 96, 96
3: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ
3: Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. This school meals
2: and
4: the... Um Idea from Minister Heather Humphreys that every child who wants one should have access to a hot meal at some point during their school day. Tony says the UK has had hot meals in schools for a long, long time. If you read the biographies of people when they get famous or whatever, you'll often see how important those hot school meals were to them as kids growing up. Of course, we should have them. Tony, you're spot on, and I've read more than one biography like that. Where people said you know If it wasn't for the school meal I probably wouldn't have been That well fed as a kid Because their family were poor And there's quite a lot of people like that Jimmy of course school meals Should be on the cards But knowing knowing this government It wants to appoint a chef And have kitchens built in every school No need for that Plenty of chippers and cafes in every town in Ireland Would love to supply The school's On heating oil Chatting with Christian McCashin From the Irish Daily Mail About the soaring cost Of heating oil In 2001 I paid 300 euro for oil At the start of the year At the end of that year I paid 400 euro This was when inflation was last As high as it is now This is for 500 litres I remember it well My last fill was 800 euro and it's going up again so put in context of how much it has gone up over the past 20 years Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. 96 96 and back to the ukrainians and housing the refugees and the irish refugee council warning that at the rate the numbers are coming and every one of them is welcome and they need what we can give them well we may not have accommodation for them all within about nine to 10 days Caller says, and here's a serious point. Are they vaccinated? Are they going to be offered vaccines? Some people are very worried about an influx of potentially unvaccinated people arriving here. Secondly, are there measures in place to vet these people to weed out Russian spies or others operating for foreign countries or foreign criminals? I think with regard... I can't answer your second question or your third one, but I think with regard to vaccination... Uh, I, I believe anyone coming in from Ukraine is indeed being offered a vaccination on arrival. I, I do believe that is the case. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. What's this, Fiona? About about high heels? I, I thought you'd all given them up, and you were happy with your flats and your sneakers and well, all that.
12: <laughs> well, I am, but apparently not. No. <laughs> There's a story in the Daily Mail today and it's saying that demand for high heels, typically four inches, but sometimes even higher, is at a ten year high. Apparently um, when women were in the lockdown, we were all you know, wearing our comfy trainers and uh, lounge wear because we were, a lot of us were working from home. But now that we're back out um, we're looking for high heels and it's like what uh, Maeve Dennehy, um was talking about yesterday, that there's a massive um, interest in people now to where they're going out gear now and you know formal gear for a wedding and stuff like that but yeah so apparently now we're all looking to um, invest in high heels and the higher the better um, Kurt Kiger is saying that um, it um, the high heels that they're selling now that some of them are uh, did they say did I say see they're 10 millimetres in height
4: 10 centimetres I presume <laughs> um, it,
12: you're
4: going no, well, you mar- an oxygen oh, tank it's an 8
12: millimetre increase in average heel height over the last two years yeah. yeah so there you go now You'd want an
4: oxygen tank on top of them <laughs> mind so you I... that there was a time you' not so long ago pandemic put an into it The Heel Appeal, do you remember?
12: Yes, I was just going to say that to you. You were running around Cork in your heels. How did you find them?
4: (laughs) We used to go around the quad at UCC a couple of years, and we did it down, the first year of it, we did it down Patrick Street. I mean, it was the most lunatic thing I've ever done in my life, (laughs) running through the English market in a pair of high heels. I will never forget it as long as... And no, I'm not doing it this year!
12: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I, I used to always wear high heels for work when I was out on the road mm-hmm. and running around, not Do you, uh, yeah. on me. Do and you then- like
4: them? I mean, okay, can no, I ask yes. you straight away? What is the attraction of a shoe that cannot possibly be comfortable?
12: look, it makes you feel good about yourself when you have a few inches higher and, you know, it might go with your outfit. Um, yeah, you, uh, you know, like if if you're you know, I although sometimes now with dresses and stuff like that, it's nicer, you know, runners are kind of in trend um with dresses, but if you're going out to an, an occasion or something like that, yeah, you do always feel a little bit better and um you know, I, I, I did always wear them, but I think I kind of got out of the habit of wearing them and now I'm just comfort all the way and I did try to wear heels there recently and I couldn't walk <laughs> I couldn't walk in them <laughs> but um, yeah if anybody out there is um, you know uh, in favour of their heels now over their sneakers they could let us know and, and why they prefer to wear such high heels platform you, shoes coming back You Mark.
4: remain on my shortlist of course for an unsolved crime <laughs> A number of years ago at a 96 m Christmas party I got high heeled on a dance floor and I've never found the culprit although I suspect <laughs> <laughs> We're <in> short. <laughs> so I have a thing about high heels. They split my toenails. Right, thanks, Fiona. Does anybody Never want to see a high heel again? Or can someone please explain to me? What is the beauty of them? They cannot possibly be comfortable. Please do those ones that squeeze your toes in the front of them. Anyway, these are first world problems. Another first world problem, a springtime problem. Has anyone got birds in the attic? at the moment, had a crisis in Coogan Towers a few years ago, and we solved it with the help of Jim Wilson uh, from Worldwatch Ireland. Starlings and other such beauties are looking for a place to nest and lay eggs at this time of year, and they may well invade your attic. Now can you avoid it, or if they come in, what can you do? I'll talk to Jim next. Oh, wait. Well, I'll go to him now, actually. He's there. Jim Wilson, good morning to you.
13: PJ. (laughs) Like Groundhog Day. I remember,
4: well, I remember coming to you around this time of the year when I had a chorus of river dance, morning and evening. And I was wondering, what the hell is going on? And then I climbed up my styra and this little thing flew over my head. And I rang you and he said, relax, relax. They're nearly done. They'll be gone soon. They were starlings. They have yeah. come back once. Thankfully, we seem to not have them this year. But what right. is the problem? They, they love to come into attics.
13: They, they do. You know, in in nature, they they like sort of crevices. You know, and um, you know areas, nooks and crannies where they can build a nest in safety. You know, well out of the way, like not out in the open, like uh, you know a crow's nest on the top of a tree or anything like that. And. And when we started building houses and putting roofs with slates and felt lining and all that sort of stuff, to to a starling, this was like deluxe home, you know, uh, real estate. And why would I hell bother going to some damp, cold, lump, you know, pile of rocks or everywhere to to find a little crevice when these are brilliant and there's even a bit of heating and everything. And so they've taken to nesting houses wherever they get a chance. And they, they only need a hole about the size. If you use your your index finger and, and and you know form a circle with your thumb, like you would giving like the OK sign or all yeah. good, that's about the size of the hole they 17. need. <laughs> Maybe a little bit bigger, not much bigger though. And, and so they don't need a lot. They don't need a, a big gaping hole in, in in your roof space anywhere. And they they get in under usually between the slate. And the felt, you know what I mean. So there's a lovely little spot there, and they just and and that's where I love your 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 your. your I'm picturing Riverdance in your attic, and that was that that it can be a bit like that. I've had loads of people over the years, and it's quite stressful if if it's like you know if you dormer windows you know where where the window comes out of the roof you know the where the people build and like that's literally in your bedroom because in a lot of attics it's in the attic space so you can hear it but it's not so loud and the thing is you're, I, I'm, I'm delighted you, you've raised the issue now because the birds are starting to nest now there, there's always one or two outliers who are probably well ahead of the posse already but the majority would only be starting to build you know um, in that area and if if it's a, if it's an absolute serious problem and you you think you're not going to survive the, the the month or so or six six weeks that they're going to be there, well now is the time to go looking and and just just listen and if you're not hearing if you're not hearing chicks and stuff like that, the chances are they're they're only just putting building material in there and you can watch. So if you see them coming and going with nest material. Mm. They, then they haven 't laid an egg yet
4: if you see them gathering around the eaves of the house in the mornings for example yeah
13: yeah, yeah. yeah. you 'll see them they they kind of they 'll they'll, they'll kind of ho- skip along the gutter looking looking, looking underneath your know, exam literally doing a, a full a full check of your roof to see if it's sealed. and if it 's not, and they find a space well then they they 'll start uh, mm. they they call it prospecting for an nest. F- it's like prospecting for gold, I suppose uh, they're looking for a, a new home for the year. Do they come uh,
4: back to the same place?
13: They, 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 they off. They it's kind of a fifty-fifty. A lot of birds don't use the same space. They they might build a new nest next to the old one if it's a big enough space, but they rarely use the exact same nest, for, especially small birds year after year because. It's been used once. They're co- they're very clean creatures overall, believe it or not. Mm. So they're not going to use one that has had a, had, a, had a whole big messy family in it the year before. Yeah, they, they they leave it for a couple of years and then they might come back, but not always two years running, but they can. Never say never in nature because yeah. someone's going to ring you up now and say, oh, he well, hasn't a clue what he's talking about. We get them every year. Well, yeah.
4: well, I remember the year that they did come in and and nest. in. Yes. They, they actually nested right in the angle and they robbed yeah. a fair amount of attic insulation to pad themselves out, which, you know, <laughs> nice for them. And yeah. my, my daughter, who happens to be a veterinary nurse, yes. got in and had a look and she yeah. said, come away now, just leave them alone. She said, they're, they're, they're there. And we did, but like yeah. I said, now, <laughs> they learned to fly inside the attic and all this kind of carry on. Oh, now, no, longer. to be fair, they didn't do a whole pile of harm. And I think that's a keynote, isn't yeah, it, Jim?
13: it is. It, it is like, they're, they're, they're not going to eat your, your, your attic space or your rafters or your joists or all those things. They're, they're not going to do anything like that. I mean, they're tiny little creatures. They're very small. Uh, and they, 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 the imprint they will leave, even from... You know, from a pooping point of view, uh, they, 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 you might get it on your clothesline. That's where most people get annoyed with them. Actually, is the coming and going from the nest. Most birds will lighten their load. <laughs> they, they'll they'll do a poop just before they fly or as they're flying out of the nest. They won't poop inside there. They'll keep that clean. So, so the thing is, any droppings and that will, will all occur outside. So they won't be crapping around your attic, uh, unless it's the young birds that, which is unusual. Uh, PJ, they, for them to end up in the attic space, normally they just go out and in, you know, from where the nest is. But if you did get one in the attic, you might get a bird that's frightened. You know, pooping around the attic once or twice, but in general, no, they're not going to create a monster mess inside the attic. That's very, very, very unusual. But mm-hmm. the coming and going, the mice on top of the car or the clothesline mm-hmm. as they fly in and out from the nest. Can you? Nest can hole. you? What's the word? D- deter them? <laughs> yeah. You see the problem with deterring. Look, look how look how big an area you, you've got of of roof. You yeah. know, uh, you know, and and with the as I said, the size of the hole. You know, it, it, you'd want to go around your roof and examine every little spot, and you still might miss an area where they get in. My 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 mother-in-law, God bless her, she used to put, um, lit, you know, the little kids windmills, you know, the little uh, kind yes. of, you know, the ones on a stick. Yes. She she put one of those on the on the corner of of the gables. She got she got her husband to go up and, and put one on each corner, and she said it worked for her. But, you, you know, if you're very house-proud, it might look odd to the neighbours having these yeah. windows flying around up up above.
4: I know, I know someone who put in a sensor light into their yeah. attic. Yeah. And that seemed to work. Yeah. Near where they'd come in the previous year, Yeah, they put in a small sensor light. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. seemed to work.
13: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they yeah. didn't
4: like being startled by the light.
13: Yeah that that's quite possible as i say you you'd have to give it a couple of years before you'd say it's actually worse because as we've already discussed yeah. they might be just taking a break from <laughs> your place and come back come back later but okay. but also i know you can get there there are some of these uh, you know ultrasonic audio like you get them for rodents and stuff but i know you can get them for birds as well within an attic space that might be okay cuz the, the only birds that will it will affect our birds that are in the attic. I, I don't like using those devices outdoors because it, it they're, they're kind of a, a blunt instrument and mm. they they scare everything, not not just the, the the things you don't want in your garden. Oh, right. So, but that might work as well. I mean, the bottom line really is. You end up with one experience if you get it early and they're carrying in nest material. And they will come and go all day with nest material. You're bound to see them with big mouthfuls of grass or whatever. And then watch where they're going in and plug it up straight away. But if they're carrying food and stuff, or if you're hearing the sound of the chicks begging as the adults come in to feed them, well, unless you're really, really heartless, you just try and put up with it for the few weeks. They'll be gone by the middle and, of May. Yeah, and then plug it up. But, right. but remember to plug it up, because remember we discussed this last year. <laughs> I do I, I know how many people come back to me, and I warn them, don't forget. And of course, as soon as everything stops, oh, yeah. they forget. Oh, yeah. And when do they remember us? The Next following time, year. Back in the and they hear
4: the noise. Yeah, I know, and- Jim. <laughs> <laughs> thanks as always. Jim Wilson of Birdwatch Ireland. If you have that noise, in the, it's probably starlings. They are completely harmless. But uh, you can... Hopefully deter them. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Thanks, Jim. We had a nightmare with them a couple of years ago. I had to ring Jim and he told me, Hold on, you're fine, you're grand, they'll be done with you in a while. Get in then and plug up the hole, which I did.
2: So far so good this year.
7: Can we just talk?
2: opinion line on Cork's 96 FM
3: with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie
2: Cork's 96 FM's next big giveaway is coming. And if you love Ed Sheeran, you're really gonna love this. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Get all the details with Casey and Ross in the morning, Monday 8.15 a.m. Only on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396
2: 96 96. On Cork's
4: 96FM. Talking earlier in the week about the British Titanic Society who are holding their 35th annual convention this weekend in Cove, the first time they ever held their convention in what used to be Queenstown. 110 years ago, the Titanic sank after leaving uh, Cove. And there's an event on this morning, uh, led by Dr. M- Michael Martin from the Titanic Trail. And I think you're leaving shortly, Michael, so i you want to catch up with you? This is one of the keynote events of the festival. Good morning.
14: Good morning, PJ, and good morning to your listeners. Um, I have to say, I'm not responsible for organising everything, uh, but uh, merely assisting them.
4: Yeah, yeah. There was... Uh, you're, you're actually falling in for someone who was supposed to lead it, uh, of, of which more in a while. But this is a very big adventure, heading out to sea, out to Rochers Point.
14: Yes, um, I'm on board the naval vessel Ellie Rocheen under the command of Lieutenant Commander Grace Fanning. And the Navy are, you know, assisting in the ceremony and lending an air of, you know, respect and uh, somber presence for the laying of the wreaths by the British Titanic Society out at Ringabella Bay, which is where the, the ship anchored. And supposed to be accompanied this morning by Rory Golden. Um, and him and I go back 24 years. Um, I had a plaque made in, in Cork at a foundry up at the Concale Road Roundabout. That he managed to actually lay on the wreck of the Titanic. He was the first Irish man to go down there, and he's been down there twice. But unfortunately, uh, due to the COVID, he can't join us this morning. Um, so it's uh, half of the dynamic duo uh, is here. So I'm on board the Eddie Roisin now. And what's the plan for the next couple of hours, Michael? Well, what they plan to do is that the, the, the British Titanic Society delegates, 70 of them, are just about to slip and proceed from Cove and they're making their way out towards the harbour. They'll be shown various points of interest connected with Titanic along the way. Uh, we'll all converge out at the anchorage at about 11.40 and a number of hymns will be sung. and. They will then respectfully lay two wreaths into the into the water, right where the ship anchored. I'll be laying a wreath from the naval vessel. And there's a, an ancient naval tradition of um, a single pipe. It's like a it's not a musical instrument, but a mm. single pipe is used. And they'll pipe the still, it's called. And mm. it's sort of a mark of respect. It's like the maritime equivalent of... Um, of a minute silence, you know, yeah. and that'll be followed by a minute silence. And then the bells of St. Colman's Cathedral, um, yeah. under the guiding hand yeah. of Adrian Brewer's, yeah. will ring out near my God Got yeah. Today at, at 12 o'clock. So we're hoping that will come across the harbour and we'll all hear it. Yeah. So it's a very poignant uh, moment, and they'll also have an Ilan Piper on board their vessel, because we did have an Illan Piper playing on board Titanic on uh, its team, a passenger that embarked in at cove called Eugene Daly <laughs> um, played a rendition of a tune called Ireland's Lament yeah. on the Titanic while it was at anchor. So that's going to be played and somebody remarked to him or supposed to have remarked to him that that's a very somber song. So he struck up a nation once again. So I understand that the and Piper would play those things Excellent. and uh, then we'll return back to Cove, yeah, so uh, I think it's a very respectful and poignant moment yeah, to remember those that were lost
4: 110 years ago this, this very month and the fascination with the story, Michael, and I was talking to members of the Society earlier in the week the fascination of this there, are, there have been many, many more shipwrecks and many, many more tragedies at sea, but the fascination with this one, what do you think it stems from?
14: I think there's a couple of things, uh, PJ. Um, first of all, it happened uh, in relative peacetime.
9: The Lusitania
14: with Torpedo, for example, just off our coast, had a much bigger impact than Cove, really. Um, but because the war was on, the news was lost very quickly. The other thing was, you know, there were some very wealthy passengers on board, as there would have been on any transatlantic crossing at that time. Uh, but I think Hollywood really must bear a lot of responsibility for... Uh, you know, for the, the the story remaining on so long. Uh, certainly um, there was a, a young lady called Dorothy Perkins on board who was what they would have called then uh, Hollywood Starless and within a very short time, it wasn't forty years later or four years later, Four months after Titanic sank, there was a black and white film made with Dorothy Perkins starring in it, and the caption on the advertising for the film read, uh, she's wearing the same tear-stained dress that she wore. (laughs) Uh, on the night she was plucked to safety from Titanic. And so Hollywood's fascination uh, begins with the Titanic. And I think that has helped to perpetuate it over the yeah. years. Uh, but people are interested because, you know, there's very human stories there. Yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah. and, and I know, think as well, it's, it's, I it's,
4: it's a mystery. I, there still are so much of it remains a mystery to this day. We'll probably re- never really know what actually happened, will we?
14: No, there's a lot of detail we don't know. And I mean, the, the, some of the biggest things we don't understand is why the ship didn't respond to the ice warnings. You know, I mean, there were multiple ice warnings flying around in the ether at that time. Uh, there was a number of those warnings sent directly to Titanic, and they didn't reduce their speed or alter their course. And. Some of the um, explanations put forward by Hollywood don't stand up. You know, oh, she was trying to beat the fastest speed across the Atlantic. She was never going to beat the fastest speed across the Atlantic because the hole was too wide. Um, Other things that, you know, the captain was being pressurized uh, by people, while that may or may not have been the case the captain on any ship, including left-wing uh, commander, um, Grace Fanny here this morning, they book all this stuff with the captain mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who's on board or who's trying to influence them. The captain yeah. decides everything. You know? There's so much... Uh, there's so there are mysteries still around here. You know? and, and as well, PJ, on, on the night nice, there was all human signs were there. You know, there was... Um, There was great acts of bravery, there was great acts of cowardice, there was a whole variety, you know, all human life is in the Titanic and I suppose the primary thing that I would say to people is that essentially she was primarily an emigrant ship, you know, most of the people on board were emigrating, you know, full of hope, you know, the hope of a new life, the hope of better circumstances and that was shattered tonight that the ship
4: sank for any of them. OK, I'll leave you there because I can, the bridge is starting to get busy there on the Rocheen, uh, Moving out soon to take part in that event that is Dr Michael Martin from the Titanic Trail in Cove on board the Ellie Rochine, captained by Lieutenant Commander Grace Fanning. They are headed out now to that, what sounds like a lovely event to commemorate 110 years since the sinking of uh, the Titanic this week in 1912. I must pause for a moment uh, to remember a man who has passed away. Uh, We got word last night of the passing of journalist Brendan Mooney, uh, originally from County Meath, came to Cork to work for the Examiner and covered many, many major news stories before moving permanently to the sports desk. And he covered every Olympic Games, for the examiner, every Olympic Games, from Montreal in 1976 to London, just before he retired the 2012 Olympics. He was a particular expert in boxing, cycling and athletics. And he was a founder, director... And the first sports editor at Radio South, which was the station that preceded what you now know as Corks 96 FM. And one of the stars of international athletics, to whom he was, I would say, fairly close, and, and they had great respect for each other. And you will be sad at the news of his passing. The great Sonia O'Sullivan joins me. Sonia, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my um, call. Did, yeah. Brendan was. Yeah. Just he was just one lovely man, but as a journalist, he was known for being ex- exceedingly fair. He
17: was he was oh he was very I would say very very kind to me. You know, Brendan was just such a nice gentleman that um, you know you didn't really know you were talking to a journalist. He was you know nearly I was talking to someone there before about how he, he really felt kind of part of your. I suppose for me traveling around Europe and around the world. You had people around you who were you know, they became your family when you're travelling. And and Brendan was one of those, you know, people who would I would definitely include in that. He was someone who, you know, wherever I was in the world, it, he was a friendly face and, you know, you you look forward to talking to him. And he always I suppose when you know, it's not easy for athletes to talk to journalists and you know, in my younger years I definitely would have put up a wall at times of who I would talk to and what I would talk about, and but Brendan, he would always put you at ease, and you just felt like you were talking to a friend all the time. And mm-hmm. he was always so caring, and you know, just always looking at the positives no matter what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And maybe, maybe you know, by you know, I suppose me talking to Brendan like that, in a way, it kind of influences how you approach certain things, and you you then try and look at the positives yourself. Yeah. In life, you know, no matter how bad things are, it's kind of like, but well, there's got to be something good here. Yeah. yeah. And um, Brendan, you know, he's, you know, a good friend who, you know, I actually haven't seen or spoken to him for a long time. Um, but I could still hear his voice in my head when I heard the news last night. You know, you could, he, was, he just had a way of talking to you that's kind of, you yeah. know, it was just nice. It was like he was like, a, you know, an old family member who was just so happy to see you and you know never you never felt that he was looking for something from you but he was just so so happy to see you and um and and also you know to see all the athletes do well you know he really just wanted positive things from the athletes
4: on a night when things mightn't have gone so well or a day he was probably the one journalist who would come up to you and before he even asked you a question he, he, there was something about him. You'd talk to him even on the worst night, wouldn't you?
17: Oh, 100%, yeah. I mean, you know, he was there in Atlanta. He was there, my father was there, my mother was there. But Brendan, you know, he was probably as close to my family as he would have been to me. You know, they, everybody, you know, was good friends with Brendan. And, you know, he, he didn't just see you as an athlete and someone he had to report on, but someone who he... He saw it as it was part of your life as well. It just wasn't mm. the sport that he was reporting on, but it was just, he saw you as a person, I suppose. And, you know, the, the value of that, of getting to know the person as well as the athlete. Mm. And so, yeah, no, I mean, Brendan, he was there all over the world, you know, wherever I turned up to run, <laughs> Brendan was definitely there. Okay. Um, alongside, you know, some other great journalists, Peter Byrne and... um uh, Tom O'Riordan and you know I used to call them the usual suspects because <laughs> you'd see them all coming together.
9: <laughs> okay,
17: and, and we and and we had some great times, but Brendan. You know, he was always one to kind of calm things down when there was any bit of a panic going on yeah. and kept things on an even keel. Yes,
4: yeah. he did that here too in his few years that he was with us. He was just one sweet, lovely, lovely guy. Sonia, thank you. I know you're in Cove at the moment. You're on home soil. You'll have a chance to pay your respects to him, I suppose, over the next couple of days. Um, uh, when are you back to Oz? Um,
17: I, I'm not for a while, actually. Um, I'll, be, I'll be around here for a while. I'm going to America Okay. And, um, but yeah, I just like to, um, you know, express, you know, sympathy to Brendan, to his family and friends and, you know, really sorry to hear this news. And yeah, um, yeah it's just a, I think it's a sad day for anyone who, you know, spent any bit of time at all with Brendan over the years.
4: Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Sonia, thank you very much for taking our call. That's the great Sonia O'Sullivan and Brendan, of course, uh, the most important people in this world where his wife Anne and his four children, Joanne, Caroline, Brenda and Richard and his seven grandchildren. And he was a, a pal to many of us here, but in particular also our thoughts with Anne. and of course, been worked for the Irish Sun and a regular contributor on The Opinion Line. So our thoughts with the Mooney family uh, today.
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie
2: Access all areas on Corks 96 FM.
3: Your guide to nightlife on
6: Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. Chris Kent returns to the Everyman with a brand new hilarious show Christy Doesn't Live Here. Chris is set to do two nights at the Everyman with the shows taking place on Friday, April 22nd and Saturday the 23rd. Access All Areas. The inimitable Macy Gray comes to Cork this summer with a very special show at Cypress Avenue on June 14th. A must-see live show, and not one you'll see too often on side You can get your tickets now at cypressavenue.ie. Access
2: All
6: Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up, or any live streaming events, by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie.
3: Access
2: all areas. Your guide to nightlife on side On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us
3: now. 0818
2: 96, 96, 96. On Cork's 96FM. story in the news this week that
4: sounds like an episode of Star Trek. Astronomers have spotted what could be the most distant astronomical object we've ever known a new galaxy to be called HD1, which is something like 13.5 billion light years away. That's a long way away, lads. David Moore, editor of Astronomy Ireland magazine. Uh, Can you tell me more about this, David? He's gone there for you. He He was on the line. I'll give you more once you try to get him back. They reckon that there are a couple of different ideas as to what it might be. A developing galaxy, certainly it's something that they've never picked up before It's being described in a major journal and letters of the Royal Astronomical Society so the the most high powered people in astronomy are looking at this and wondering what exactly is it because it's a long way away and it's huge and it's doing very exciting things. David Moore is there now, hi, David. Exciting times. What is this? Do we know yet exactly?
10: Indeed, we have the most distant galaxy, indeed the oldest one ever found in the universe. So, this is a big discovery, and it seems to be changing our opinion of what happened in the very early universe soon after the Big Bang, because this galaxy seems to be 10 times brighter than we would have predicted. So, that has scientists scratching their heads. Mm.
4: Now, thirteen point five billion light years away. Does that mean, David, that the signals we've picked up from it now, or they have been picked up from it, are
10: thirteen point five billion years old? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's, fan- it's fascinating to realise that when you peer deep into space, you're, it basically a telescope becomes a time machine, and we're looking at the universe as it was thirteen and a half billion years ago. The universe remembers about thirteen point eight billion years old. That's when the Big Bang happened. So this is 0.3 of a billion years after the universe began. So it's a very different place. It's First of all, it's much more co- compact, smaller. The stars in there are huge because the gas clouds are very thick and uh, very close to one another. We think there were monster stars millions of times brighter than the sun. We see practically none of those today. And they would have lived very quick lives, burning out in just a few million years Unlike the sun, that will last a few billion years. So they are a thousand times faster living. they were like rock stars. They burnt bright and died young.
4: <laughs> and in what way could it change our thinking about how well, the universe was formed?
10: Yeah, but this galaxy should not be this bright. So something interesting is going on. Because there's a lot more of these giant young stars around than we thought. And that and the computer models are pretty good as to what we think the universe was like. because they lead 14 billion years later. To predict the universe looking like it is today, so we wind the clock back with the computer simulations. We don't see things this big or bright. Now, there could just be a supermassive black hole. We have one at the centre of our galaxy, about five million times the mass of the sun. But this one would have been a hundred million times, so twenty times bigger. And we just don't think they should have formed that soon because they're formed from old dead stars that collapse together. And point three billion years in, it just we didn't think that that should happen. So it's 10 times brighter than we than we would have expected. And, you know, if it was twice as bright, eh, maybe we just need to tweak the equations. But 10 times brighter, that means a serious rethink is on.
9: I'm hearing
4: a voice in my head, David, of Montgomery Scott, Chief Engineer Montgomery Scott. You can't change the laws of physics. This thing <laughs> might.
10: Well, it would. They'll have to still obey the laws of physics, but the initial conditions might have been different to what we think there could be there's this crazy stuff in the universe we don't know what it is called dark matter and it's very important to these models of how the universe came to be like it is and maybe there was more or less of that around it may do something exotic over tens of billions of years that we just can't see today uh, and this could be telling us what that is so there'll be a lot of people in different areas of astrophysics trying to come up with solutions to this particular problem. It may just be an anomaly. Not all galaxies are going to be the same. We could have just found the the one that was extremely bright. In fact, since it's the most distant, it could actually be an anomaly or we'd see more of these things around. One good thing coming up, though, is the James Webb Space Telescope, which was designed to look at the early universe. The universe is rushing away from us, so all the light gets red-shifted. So blue light ends up being not just red light, it actually goes into the infrared where we can't see, but the cameras on JWST are infrared cameras for that very reason. So within a year, they'll certainly be looking at this object and examining it in far more detail than we can with today's telescopes.
4: Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. You've an event, I think, this evening as well, for people to come and have a great view of the Moon. Why is it such a spectacular view
10: available to us this evening? Yeah, we've two big events coming up in the short term. There's actually an eclipse of the moon in May as well. Uh, You can ask me about that in a few weeks' time. But tonight we're setting up telescopes to look at the moon, admittedly in the Dublin area, so that would mean heading up toward the M50. But on Monday night there's actually a lecture about Einstein's theory of relativity and gravitational waves aimed at kids and families. That's all on the website. But tonight, this time of year, Spring, early spring is a great time to see the moon when it's a quarter moon. And that's when you get the best view in a telescope or binoculars. So if you have your own, you have a look over the next few nights. Mm. Because where the dark side meets the bright side, that's where long shadows get cast. And so the mountains stick out in stark relief. You can see the craters. Some of the craters have mountains inside them. And we'll have telescopes that are thousands of times more powerful than your eye. And I've seen multiple peaks in the mountain range in the middle of one crater with these oh. telescopes it really is awesome so if anyone's got an excuse to get to Dublin tonight at 8 o'clock yeah. uh, Astronomy Ireland check out astronomy.ie for directions to our headquarters we're on the outskirts of Dublin so you don't have to go into really? the city centre traffic will be easy uh, and that's our annual moon watch so we do it again every spring
4: and yeah. tonight the, the skies over Cork will be clear so we'll see
10: that lovely crescent shaped yeah. quarter very clearly tonight absolutely and as I said if you've got your own telescope and they're relatively cheap now And I was a kid in real terms of the fraction of your income they were 10 times more expensive because they were made in very well paid expensive countries like Japan today the Chinese bang them out in good quality in vast numbers and you can get a telescope every household should have one at this stage you get a decent pair of binoculars these days for 20 quid it's unheard of And then you could take up the hobby and join Astronomy Ireland. We have a fantastic magazine. Details are on Astronomy.ie.
4: Okay, David. Good to talk to you as always, David Moore, editor of Astronomy Ireland magazine. Galaxy HD one. It's thirteen point five billion years old. So we're kind of looking back in time. It's fascinating. I am thinking of Scotty though. Those of us among us who among you who are trekkies and watching. Picard at the moment, series two. It's just mega. Uh, you yeah, can't change the laws of physics, Jim. <laughs> 0818 96 96 96. Just on the question of vaccination, someone asking earlier on whether the refugees are vaccinated. Uh, someone come back to me here. This person says, I was helping Red Cross in Kinsale at the weekend as a translator for Ukrainian refugees. The main question from them was, they're not vaccinated, they'd like to get one as soon as possible. So hopefully the authorities will look after this. And I did read, as I said, I saw a piece on one of the papers during the week that uh, vaccines are being offered uh, on arrival to anybody who wants one. Oh wait, a couple of you interested in the, the high heels. You know what, it's the fun stuff that makes a Friday. Uh, I just heard Fiona talking about women wanting to wear high heels I can't walk in them anymore Give me me flats any day of the week Hope you all have a fab weekend High heels make your outfit They make it look nicer Makes you look more dressed up PJ high heels gives you attitude That's one thing Fiona doesn't need anyway Is attitude
2: Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The
2: Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
3: Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp
2: 083 396 96 96.
3: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: On Cork's 96FM.
2: Last hour of the week on the Opinion
4: Line and the last hour of peace and quiet for mammies everywhere before the smallies are unleashed from schools for two weeks. Yeah, the schools finish up at 12 today. And I'm not too sure if the lads mentioned this this morning, or if Wayne did on the plane. um, The school secretary at the Eglantine in Douglas is a woman called Catherine and Catherine has been part and parcel Catherine has defined Eglantine and all it stands for for 39 years and today Catherine retires at the end of uh, a long and illustrious career at Eglantine and I know this morning she led their their walking bus from Douglas up to the school, a glorious morning for it but she, she retires today and I know that a lot of the Staff and the pupils and past pupils and families that have been in contact with Eglintine, involved with Eglantine over the years, will wish her every success for a happy retirement. 0818 96 Today is the 8th of April and it is known as 65 Roses Day. 65 Roses, you wonder what's that about? Well, think 65 Roses Cystic Fibrosis. So it kind of is International Cystic Fibrosis Day And we've talked many times over the years uh, On the Opinion Line with Pamela O'Connor uh, From Cork um, Who I think Pam, you owe your your life to A wonder drug called Orkambi, And we'll talk about that maybe in, in a little while But well, how's the health with you? Good morning to you
16: Good morning PJ um, My health is amazing at the moment Good It really is um, the drug I'm actually on is called um, Cafetrio.
4: Oh, you moved again.
16: <laughs> I moved again. I'm on a different one now. So this one is a combination of three different drugs. So the drug I was on originally targeted one of my CF genes, but this new drug targets both of them. Wow. Wow. Yeah.
4: Wow. So <clears throat> we in this country have one of the highest... Uh, in. Uh levels of CF in the world. We, we don't seem to know why, but but go back uh, to your your younger times when you were diagnosed as a youngster. Life was tough until these wonderful drugs began to, to come into production. What's it like to have cystic fibrosis as a kid, Pam?
16: Um, well, I was born in 1983 and when I was diagnosed with CF, the life expectancy was quite low, so like, my parents were told that I probably wouldn't live into my teens. So, like, growing up with CF, I was fortunate, really, that my lungs weren't really much of a bother. I always suffer with digestive issues. Um, but, like, CF is it's a progressive disease. And it's as you get older, that's when it starts to affect you. Um, and I've kind of had a lot of ups and downs with my health down through the years. And I was lucky enough, um, when I was... Oh, it was actually my son's tenth birthday mm-hmm. that they announced that the government had approved a wonder drug called Calidicol, mm-hmm. and I started on Calidicol. I was really, really ill at the time. I had about thirty percent lung function. I was really, really thin. I picked up the horrible superbug um, called C diff. I don't know if you know what that is. I no, do, C. Diff, indeed, yeah, I do indeed. yeah. And it just really went downhill from there. And I started on Calidicol and. It was amazing what that drug did for me. Um, it was almost like I didn't have C F anymore. Wow. wow, which was amazing.
4: Because the drugs are very powerful once they once and they are very specifically targeted. Like you said, you've you've two main symptoms of your CF.
16: Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> like with C F, it's it's a genetic disease, obviously, and as you said earlier, we have the highest incidence in the world. Um, so one in 16 people in Ireland carried cystic fibrosis gene. Um, I think partly the reason for that is because we've got a very small gene pool as well. Like, There's not very many people, you know, there's what, 4 million Irish people in the country, so that could be why it's so high as well. Um, and I was fortunate enough at the time that I carried the G551D gene which is the one that KaleidoCo worked for. And there was only at the time I think 100 people in Ireland who carried that gene and were able to benefit from Kalydeco. Um but the Vertex, the drug company that developed Kalydeco, um, they had, they once they knew that they could <clears throat> correct the fault in the gene, which was the problem, then they knew that the, if they could correct one, maybe they could start correcting others, and there was a lot of money poured into it, and a lot of work went into it and, um, you know I got so well from Kaleidoco and I found it very difficult to look at my friends who also had CF. Who couldn't benefit from kaleidococcal. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. <clears throat>
4: yeah. Because it, it it is such a, a strange disease in that two people next to each other in the same room can have two entirely different sets of symptoms.
16: Yeah. Yeah. Like myself and my brother both have cystic fibrosis. Right. And. Like when we were growing up, like I said, I suffer with digestive issues, I have diabetes Jason doesn't, Jason had very bad lung problems from a very young age and it was just strange that both of us have CF, we both have the same genetic makeup, but we both suffer in completely different ways. Wow, wow. Yeah.
4: Now you're speaking, I know it's an event to mark 65 (laughs) Roses Day Um, Tell me about that, it's a sold out event.
16: A sold out event, so it's the 65 Rose Ball, it's in the Metropole this evening um so there's a link on Eventbrite for it as well to donate. There's amazing prizes that are going to be there. And I just said, you know, like, I suppose it's it's grand to say we're going to do a fundraiser and whatever. But when somebody is standing in front of you saying, look, I have this disease, mm. you know, I have it. Um, this is what all the fundraising, all the efforts that other people have made, like like donating money, fundraising, raising awareness has saved my life.
4: Like when you were born like that now in 83, your parents were, were told you might not see your teenage years. Yeah. Here, you, here you are talking to me in, yeah. in the best health you've been in a long time. Yeah. So for a youngster being diagnosed <laughs> these days, the it's prospects a are a whole thing. lot
9: better.
16: Yeah. And even now, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be 39 this year. I never thought I'd live to be 39. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like last year, I like through COVID and stuff as well. No, I had COVID twice, and um, what? yeah, I had it twice.
4: And, and, and I, I would have thought you would have been one of the most vulnerable people if you got COVID.
16: Yeah, and I like the first time I got COVID, I was really sick. I was really, really sick, and it did damage my lungs a bit more. And I started to suffer a lot with lung bleeds and stuff. Um, and last April, it was actually uh, the first of April, Thursday. I was out walking, and then I suddenly broke my ankle. And three weeks later, I, I was sick, and I knew myself I wasn't well, and um, I ended up going to hospital. And the nurse, when she saw me, she couldn't believe that it was me, because I just looked so unwell. And um, I went into hospital, and I went to get my IVs and stuff, and because I had been on Kalydeco, I hadn't been in hospital sick for eight years. You know, it was just... Mm you know it wasn't like me to be ill like that and my lung function had dropped down to like 40% and I was so thin I was gone it, it just wasn't me and um, the day the day after I went into hospital um, I woke during the night I had a headache and I asked them for um, a painkiller, so <clears throat> I got and whatever and um, about 2 o'clock in the morning I turned over to go to sleep and I just felt this massive rumbling in my chest and I knew I was like oh here we go and I started coughing up pints of blood. Oh God. And it was, I'd say it went on for about, about three and a half, maybe four hours. And through COVID as well, nobody could come near me. I couldn't have visitors. My CF team weren't there. Um, and it was just panic station. And like that, by like people who have CF, we know... We're like our own little doctors, you know. We know what we need to get, and I was telling the nurse, "You need to get me this. You need to give me this to make it stop." And it was horrific. It really was, and it was a very tra- traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. But you and came, I you did. C- you came
4: through.
9: Uh,
16: you yep. You came. My doctor. My doctor told me the following morning when he came in, Prost Plant, he's amazing," and oh. <coughs> he said, "He Prost is brilliant Barry. and very planty." Yeah. yeah. And when you see the boss on a Sunday morning, you notice something wrong, you know. And he told me straight up, he was like, Pam, if you weren't here last night, girl, you wouldn't be here now. Yeah. You know, so, and that's the thing with CF, that CF is a beast when it comes at you. Yeah. It's a beast, you know, and that's why now I'm kind of, you know, I, I, I just had a lot of hard times after that. and But I survived it, you know, and there's a reason that I did. Yeah.
4: And when people are listening who've maybe had a diagnosis, in their family, or they've just yeah. had a baby, and you know they've had the news. Yeah, you're living proof, I think, Pam, that life yeah. can be fine. Life it can, can be, be okay.
16: amazing. Yeah, like I, <clears throat> through COVID and stuff, I, I was out of work. I was locked into my house. I couldn't do anything, and everything that I had fought against, like being a sick person, was completely gone. All of a sudden, every single thing about me was that I had CF and that's one of the things that I'd say to somebody who either has a child or a relative or somebody, don't make everything about them that they have CF. Yeah. Because that it doesn't have to be that way. Like I'm I'm a hairdresser as well. I'm a mother. I was told I couldn't be a hairdresser. If you mix it all those people you're gonna get sick, I was like, yeah I'm gonna do it anyway. I had a child, I was told I couldn't have children, I have a child. Um and I work in I'm working in Shade and Co. now in it's on South Douglas Road. And um it's just an amazing place to be and they're so positive towards me and they're so supportive of me and with my illness and everything it was just it's just an amazing place to be and you can have a completely normal life with CF. Yeah. But you have to fight for it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Lastly on that subject in terms of the drugs and talked about <coughs> or can be over the years and yep. kaleidical and other such <laughs> things. Is CF on the long term illness scheme, are the again for people who are coming into this adventure
16: yeah.
4: are the drugs covered? Are the treatments covered?
16: The drugs are covered, so Capture the drug that I'm on is covered by the HSC because I think it costs about two hundred and thirty thousand a year. Wow. Yeah, it's a phenomenal amount of money. You won't
4: earn that hairdressing.
16: <laughs> I'm the million dollar woman, I'm on it so long now. <laughs> but I I'm i worth it. But um no, like these drugs, they are covered and they um, the long term illness scheme. But people have to kind of look into it as well of what they're what drugs they're entitled to get. Yeah. And most of the drugs, to be fair, are covered. And anybody who has CF, we have the most amazing CF team the most amazing CF team and they help with everything. They're so, so good to us. Yeah, and you mentioned, um,
4: you mentioned Prof Plant, like one of the best yeah. in the business. Best yeah. Rec- r- Recognised as one of the best in Europe at treating CF.
16: Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. And he's so good at like, because he knows I am to alternative therapies and stuff and he'll always ask me about things and he listens to my opinions and I could meet Prof in the corridor before and he'd stop and he's a busy man and he'll stop and he'll chat to me. And he treats me like an equal, which is so, so important, you know, and I think he kind of, I think he just, he has so much respect for us because he knows what we go through, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, he's, he said to me with the new drugs that are coming and everything, like he was like, you know, at the time when I was very ill, he said, Pam, look after yourself, these drugs are coming and they're going to change your life. And And it did.
4: I remember talking to you when you were waiting for drugs to come and yeah. talking to you when you were so sick and so scared. It's yeah. brilliant to chat with you now, Pam, and you're great yeah. your form. It really is. I am.
16: I'm in great old form. And, like, to be fair, I think what people also need to think about, like, when you're living with CF, it's not just... It doesn't just affect your physical health. It has a massive impact on your mental health as well. Mm. It can do, you know. And I just had so many different things happen in the last two years. And... I was a bit lost. Do you know when I wasn't who I am now? And I went to see um, Gerald O'Brien. He was amateur there a couple of oh, weeks Ger. ago. Oh, Ger. How many oh. people
4: have been to Ger? Like
16: I'm t- oh, he's he's amazing, and what he's done for me has been unbelievable. He's such a lovely person, and he's he brought me he he helped me to learn how to control my thoughts and my mind and gain back my positivity. Mm. And I'm feeling so much better since Good. I've done it. Yeah, it really is, and it's, you know, like, you can go through hard times and tough times, but, like, there's always there's always brighter days, and I, I firmly believe that now. All right, listen, Pamela, really great thanks to hear,
4: you. Great for talking to hear you in to me. good form, and, and yeah. great, to, great to talk with you again. Pamela O'Connor, uh, cystic fibrosis patient, um, was told that she would, her parents were told she might see her teenage years, and uh, she'll be 39 this year, in the best health she's ever been, despite having COVID twice. And she'll be speaking at the 65 Roses Ball Tonight at the Metropole The event is sold out But you can still donate uh, to
2: Eventbrite
7: Can we just talk
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.
6: Whatever sport you support, we want you to grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. Stick
3: it on for Radiothon. If you need. 96FM giving for living radiothon returns in May.
6: And this year Friday May 27th is Jersey Day.
3: We want you to hold a Jersey Day. Hold a Jersey Day. Get together with family, friends or colleagues and wear your favorite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. For more see 96fm.ie. The
6: 2022 Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th only on Cork's 96FM. <laughs> Can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Call us now.
2: 0818 96 96. 96. On Courts 96 FM. So will you sit
4: down this evening and order something online? Assuming that in this tough economic time you can afford it, to order something online. What do you do? You pop onto something like Just Eat or any one of those and you... Find that, and find that, and find that, and click, 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 bing, and away you go. And the guy arrives at the door with the bag of the box. And that's Friday assorted. For most of us. But what if you have allergies? Uh, You don't actually know what's coming in the pizza or in the noodles or whatever you're getting. And you could be worried about something to which you are allergic. That is where peckish comes in. It's a wonderful idea. Paul O'Shea joins me. Paul, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How's it going? Happy Friday. And to you, sir. Now, I think of someone who will possibly sit down tonight with the laptop and order a bit of grub for myself, and thankfully, I could eat two-day-old tar off the road, and (laughs) it will have no effect on me. I have no allergies, thanks be to goodness. But for somebody who has, it's a bit of a nightmare, and that's where you come in.
15: It is indeed, yeah. Um, So, like, if if you're looking to order food on... The likes of Just Eat and Deliveroo now, and if you do have a, a food intolerance or an allergy or um, different dirty requirements, um, it's not a requirement for Just Eat or Deliveroo for the restaurants to actually list their allergens on the items. So there'll often be a button saying, "Oh, if you've got a food allergy, just ring the restaurant directly." Um, so the information isn't too clear on those ordering platforms. So we kind of change that up a bit with um, Peckish. Peckish.ie, which is our platform. So what we've developed is a it's a menu search engine. Um, so we're just based here in Cork, but we let consumers. Find and order dishes specific down to their personal preferences or their dirty requirements. So, if you're looking for a gluten-free burger for a collection or a vegan curry without any nuts for delivery, you pop on the peckish and you should be able to find it within three clicks and ten seconds.
4: Wow! And do, like, do the restaurants say that are on Just Eat, for example? Would they be on yours, or how do you go, How do you work between the, <coughs> the lists?
15: Yeah. So we've got uh, we've just got thirty restaurants here now in Cork uh, set up in the system. We'll be adding. Uh, I'd say even double that now in the next month. Um, but what we do is we let the restaurants list their preferred ordering platform via collection or delivery um, so they can retain the most profit because, as you know, these just-eaten deliveries, now, they've got very high commission rates. So um, we let the restaurants list their preferred one because they might have a better commission rate from a different ordering partner. But they'll have their menu up there. They'll have all the detailed added information. That is a requirement from us um, so consumers can kind of get that next level of information that they're looking for before placing the order to give that an extra bit of Satisfaction, or kind of like just to know that they, what they're getting is correct.
4: So the delivery is still handled by, say, Just Eat or Deliveroo. You just you yeah. you just make sure that the menu is okay for the person ordering it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I might ask Paul, how does Peckish turn a book?
15: Sure. Yeah. So obviously, like when we were we were looking at it, and we said, kind of how how does this how is a startup going to make money? Because like it wouldn't make any sense for us to charge consumers to type in chips, cheese, curry, and topeka. So we charge restaurants a small subscription fee so we can kind of manage and market their menu online. So we've got a very smart smart allergen system which displays all the allergen information on each dish, each specific ingredient in it. And they can easily update and edit their menu themselves. They can put up images, rich descriptions, Mm -hmm. and they get insights on how consumers are looking and interacting with their menu, how many people are going to their ordering platforms. But we also go into the restaurant and actually create content around their mouth-watering menu items. So uh, I can say, for example, we're in Doyers now, actually at twelve o'clock, and we're shooting some content with them. And they're one of the thirty restaurants that we kind of promote via our Instagram or TikTok, which is Peckish HQ. And it's real food-heavy and indulgent content that they get as part of their monthly subscription I as well. Mean, I got
4: you. I got you. Where did the idea come from, Paul? Is it personal? Did you know someone? What's the story?
15: Um, a small bit. Like, so I, I've worked in hospitality for I'd say ten years now. You know, I've worked in the Kingsley Hotel, the Reverly Hotel, Galhers, East Village. Yeah. Barrys and Douglas, I think I actually served you before in Barrys. You're, you're a good did. tipper, news to yeah, and um, I so I was working in the Kingsley um when I was studying computer science, and like I was just a bartender who got kind of thrown into food, so I didn't have much knowledge of kind of food intolerances. So like, some lady would say, "Oh, I'm actually a celiac," and I had no idea what she was on about. I'd say, "Oh, I'm a Pisces," you know. I thought she was talking about star signs. <laughs> and I I'd, <laughs> I'd work in a different restaurant, and they'd have a new menu every day because it was family owned, and they might sell out of something, so they'd have new items on. So I could walk into work late and without looking at the menu, I could sell 120 euro of duck confit, but it wouldn't be on the menu. So I was kind of frustrated. I said, there's something something wrong here. And the kicker then was, um, myself my friends were looking to order food one night and uh, they said, Paula, what do you want? I said, look, lads, just give me a, a chip cheese curry. Um, I don't care where it's from or how much it costs. Just just type it in. And I think it was just at the time. I said, Paul, we, we can't actually type it in. Like, You have to look through all the menus and stuff. I said, lads you're telling me that there's 60 or 70 takeaways open and just eat and you can't type in chips. And they said no. So it was kind of a running joke for a while when they were ordering food. I said, like, oh, Paul's going to type it in. So um, I approached um, the Blackstone Launchpad uh, in UCC at the time and there's also Ignite in UCC because um, I was a student. I said, look, I think you've got this idea for a food app. Mm-hmm. And I said, Paul, you can't really make something for everyone. You know, you kind of have to figure out Who's got the biggest issue here? So before I did a, a wrote a line of code or did anything, I went away and I surveyed um 500 consumers nationwide, um, specifically those who have different personal preferences or dirty requirements, what 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 it, what we've now come to call functional foodies. So if you're a vegan, you're a vegetarian, you're celiac, or you've got a food allergy, and like this there's 15% of these functional foodies globally. You know, there's half a million of these types of consumers in Ireland. And we got a huge response um, from the from the survey responders saying like they couldn't find the stuff they were looking for online. They'd have to ring up the menu and check. The menu on the website it was outdated, all this kind of sort. And then we went through and we spoke to well over hundred restaurants as well, kind of like on how they, uh, on consumer eating habits and kind of consumer behaviours and how they manage and market the menu. So thankfully now on Peckish you can go in and just type in, I want a specific dish and we've got an allergen um, filtration system on the mm-hmm. left hand side. So. You can say, I'm looking for dishes, say, without celery, because I'm allergic, and I will show you which dishes don't have celery or can get celery taken out of it.
4: Because I think in fairness, you know, the, the, the thoughts of having an allergy, if there's an allergy in the house and you are doing something simple like curry, you know, the last thing you want is someone to take two mouthfuls and go, oh, no,
15: oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And that can happen so easy. Yeah like even like with curries themselves like you would have a lot of curries in curfoundland that would have cashew nuts in them or yeah. some of the curry sauces might have a, a like a um fish sauce in the curry as well to kind of add to the taste or they might have celery or they might have a, n- a number of allergens or sulfites or soya which uh would wouldn't be listed really on a lot of these um big third party ordering platforms so that's kind of where we come in giving that extra information extra information to the consumer before they make the order
4: yeah, because cashews are, pretty, and, and they're in everything, particularly and a lot of the, the, yeah. the Chinese food is has cashews in it. And I personally love to find a cashew in my curry, but I know it's a disaster for somebody <laughs> else. So, exactly. Is it on the phone, Paul, or do you go to a laptop? What do you do to give us Peckish?
15: Yeah, you can go on your laptop and your phone. It's just peckish.ie. Uh, we'll be releasing our mobile apps now this summer. Um, so, so far in Cork, like as I said, we've got 30 restaurants on. We'll be doubling those numbers in the next month. Excellent. I think we had our 10,000 person on the platform there last week. Wow. Um, We've, I, I think we're getting over a thousand people searching for food at the moment a week uh, or, or a month it was a week now this week because we had a good bit of traffic and, and this the Friday the eating. big one You'd think that actually it's more like midweek uh, and kind of people in work or in offices in the city looking for a kind of lunch inspiration. But saying that now, like we will still get a good spike of uh, traffic now today. So if, if people are, if some of the listeners are looking to kind of getting some inspiration for food, definitely pop onto our website or, or Instagram or TikTok at Peckish HQ. There's a lot of like food indulgent content there that will make you hungry anyway.
4: Excellent. All right, Paul, good luck with it. It's a, it's a cool idea. And when the apps are ready, let us know and we'll uh, tell people about it. Paul O'Shea from peckish.ie If you need to order, if you're ordering food and you're worried about allergies, that's where
2: you go. Thank you, Paul.
3: Can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With
3: the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at corkcitymarathon.ie
7: Can we just talk? The
2: Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396
2: On Courts 96 FM. Now there's a lot of
4: terminology out there, modern terminology for everything these days in life. But I heard a term called alphabet mafia. And I knew with the sound of it that it can't be very kind. And I know that it refers to the LGBT community and not in a particularly nice way. Don't know, anything about it, but there's a film documentary made about it now, made by a young Cork filmmaker, Sinead Huggins. It, it is not a nice term, Sinead. Would you explain it to me first? Good morning.
18: Hi, how's it going? Um, so basically the Alpha Mafia originated as a kind of a mean term to de- depict uh, the LGBT community as very, like, secretive, very deceptive, very, like, you know, this kind of other thing. But now LGBT people have actually started to reclaim it and it's a term we used to for each other ah. as kind of like it is a secret but you're not in on it kind of thing. Yes. And um it's it's a really it's a term that we use for fun now. And uh that's, that's where the that's where the documentary came about.
4: Okay. So tell me about the documentary.
18: So um basically it's just kind of a, a look into the lives of uh lgbt people um from all walks of life, and it's just kind of showing that you know we're just we're just like everybody else uh we do have our own struggles like it said in the documentary but like we we just want to be treated like everyone else, and we all have like normal lives we all have normal normal boring jobs just like the rest of us and you know we we all have interests like the rest of us but like it's just a very small part of our lives is our sexuality yeah and um it's just kind of looking at that and the different types of sexualities and different types of genders and this kind of thing and um we we hope to screen it in secondary schools around the place cuz it all actually came about from the from uh a funding that um seeding the county got which is basically trying to bring Uh, Awareness and LGBT issues and supports to rural areas in Ireland, Mm. and from that, then the advocacy group Sersha Aichuk was developed, and I'm a member of that. So it's kind of advocating on behalf of LGBTQ plus people, Mm. and um, we actually have our own radio station, which I run, called the Gay Agenda. So you can find that on Facebook, and every month we do we talk. It's it's like Unapolog- unapologetically, LGBT issues, mm. and we just talk about it and we discuss it. And we, you know, a lot of people kind of hold back and talk about these things, but we we just let it all out there on the table. And um, yeah. we have guest speakers and stuff like stuff like that.
6: Yeah, there's
4: a huge lack of resources out there, though, isn't there? For LGBT There the
18: is people. you know there is there like in, in Cork City they they have Link where my partner works um, for lesbian and bisexual women they have the gay project but in rural in rural Ireland there is nothing for anybody. There there's just nothing out there. So just seeding the county is and the Sergio A is what we're trying to get out there. We're trying to go to these places and tell people that they're not alone, basically. And a lot of the people in the documentary are from rural Ireland. Mm. And they were saying when they were growing up, there's nothing out there, but it is changing and it is getting better. And, you know, that's why I want to show these documentary to show people who are LGBTQ plus in rural Ireland that they're not alone. Yeah. And like, they, they do have somewhere to go.
4: What kind of resources are needed in an, in a, in an average community? Pick, a, pick anywhere. Pick Cove, pick Formoy, pick Y'all, pick, pick...
18: Well, anyway. yeah, actually, Y'all has a very strong community and... um Cove is just setting up a new LGBT meet up, so there is progress happening. Um, it's even just somewhere a safe space for LGBTQ plus people to go. Like there's like even in schools now, there's just not a lot of support. Like they do, they are teaching a little bit about it now, whereas before they wasn't doing anything. So it is going in the right direction, yeah. but also. There's just nowhere, there's no safe space for them to go. Like, they they might be afraid of uh, in school of coming out or even, you know, acknowledging it. And uh, family life probably wouldn't be any better for them. And they're just nobody to talk to about it because they don't know, they wouldn't know anybody who's LGBT. And, like, it, even just going around and chatting to people is, is you know, it, it it really empowers them to seek out, community events and things like that. And you can kinda of point them in the right direction then to Link or to mm. Gay Project or LGBT helpline or whatever whatever it is. But um but it's just it's it's about visibility really and just kind of showing them that they're not alone and that there is other people like them out there. And more than they'd more than they'd know to more than they'd even think in there. Yeah. In the rural place they live, you know?
4: You you, you sometimes I think people have the impression that I am the to to quote to quote that old line from Little Britain. Uh, I am the only the only gay in the village. You're not actually. You just don't know it.
18: That's it. Like and you and there's, there's there'd be plenty of people in rural Ireland who's in the exact same boat as you, and they wouldn't like you wouldn't even know they were there because like you, they're terrified to speak up. They're terrified to say I am you know a queer person, and. You know, then they don't have a community there, which is what we're trying to do. We're trying to go around to these places and we're trying to, you know, host an event in schools and just be like, look, you're not the only one out there. So don't, you know, there's Mm. there's plenty of people in plain clothes just every day going to work, and they're exactly like you. And um, just yeah, you, you can you can chat to us about it, and we'll we'll point you in the direction of the services, and you know, we'll try and get around to. As many places as we can, mm-hmm. and you know, have a have a safe space for you to talk about it, and that's half the battle. Having somewhere you can go and talk about it without being judged, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's just it's just it's a great resource, and it's great that something's finally happening for rural Ireland. Mm. Where, where in can the LGBT?
4: Lastly, uh, Sinead, where can people get to see the film?
18: Um, well, uh, currently it's it's on a private um, link, but um if they were if if anybody wants to contact me through either Sersha Aichuk on on Facebook or which is the advocacy group or the gay agenda Facebook group, um, they can contact me and we'll be happy to have a screening wherever the person wants it and if anybody wants the link they I'm happy enough to give out the link to people to watch it okay. so um yeah through the through the gay agenda or Sersha Aichuk. On Facebook.
4: Good luck with it, Sinead Shane Huggins, uh, young filmmaker, the movie called Alphabet Mafia, reclaiming a term that was once a derogatory term. And I mentioned earlier on that in about twelve minutes from now, all the smallies will be unleashed for a fortnight. <laughs> on mammies and daddies who are bracing themselves for a fortnight. And it's a particularly special fortnight because most of that fortnight they will spend in a chocolate rush, bouncing off the ceilings, little bellies full of chocolate, little heads full of sugar. So my thoughts are with every parent that's about to go through this. But the schools are finishing up and a lot of parents will be taking a break, maybe even heading away somewhere. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, Cork's 96 of M's Moray Tuig has been speaking to some local businesses about the bookings that are coming
1: in. Bags are packed for Easter getaways as schools close their doors for two weeks from today. The summer schedule at Cork Airport is underway, with over 40 scheduled routes being served by eight airlines. Communications manager Barry Holland says passengers have started heading away for Easter breaks.
19: What we would find is that our sun destinations are extremely popular this time of year. We do have a certain amount of people as well that would be going on city breaks. Uh, so our sun destinations to the likes of the south of Spain, uh, the parts of Italy, france and the canaries they are all very popular at the moment we are seeing a certain level of pent-up demand in the market this is probably as a result of the fact that people haven't been able to go on a foreign holiday with the last two years so over the next two weeks and starting realistically from this thursday and friday we will see a significant uplift in passenger numbers passing through the airport as people are going on A short break over the Easter holidays.
1: The advice to anyone travelling out of Cork Airport is to arrive 90 to 120 minutes before your boarding time.
19: 100% of our passengers pass through security in 30 minutes or less. Just last weekend, for example, 95% of our passengers passed through in 15 to 20 minutes or less. So we are obviously uh, not as badly impacted as our colleagues in Dublin are. We are assisting Dublin with security trained, security personnel. But here in Cork Airport, we would advise passengers to present at the airport between 90 minutes and 120 minutes before the flight is due to board.
1: Pat Dawson, CEO of the Irish Travel Agents Association, says demand for air travel is good. The
19: flights are very, very full. And uh, as you're
4: aware, Easter is coming up now and I don't think there's a seat to be had out of Cork. Yes, we would, would like more capacity out of Cork. Aer Lingus have reduced capacity out of Cork, which is a pity, but we have uh, other capacity in with the Ryanair and the likes. But hopefully uh, Cork will, will grow again and, and grow. It was uh, very high numbers, the fastest growing airport before the dem- pandemic in the country. And that'll get back to there uh, in the next 12 months, I hope.
1: For those who are staying local over the Easter holidays, there are many day trips and staycation options in Cork. Head of Visit Cork, Seamus Heaney, says Cork has so much to offer. I'd
14: often say to people, you can, you can, know, if, if you're struggling to find accommodation in the county, um, in, in the honey spots we call it, you can always base yourself in the city and we have some amazing attractions all within about an hour and a half drive from the city centre. But equally, then, if you are based yourself in the county, we have plenty of things to do between north, south, east and west of Cork.
1: Seamus says there's always been a good demand this time of year.
14: We'd have always seen it, but it'd be a shorter period. Now we're seeing people staying for maybe that day longer, which is fantastic. Um, it's fantastic for the hotels, it's fantastic for the accommodation providers, the restaurants locally, the, network, the transport network. So, you know, people are doing that little extra day, and that, that makes an awful difference.
4: And if you're heading away for a few days in the sun, I hate you already. <laughs> Only joking. 96. Thanks, Moiraid. Now, during the month of February, I was talking to Jerry O'Malan about a movie he'd made on a zilch budget, The Bond Delusion. It was a comedy. Made in Cork on a zero budget, and he was to premiere it in the in Clancy's Bar on February twenty third. And what he was dreaming of at the time was that he'd also get a bigger venue to show it to more of the general public. And I think, Jerry, you've done just that. Morning.
20: Hiya, PJ. How are you? Good, I have indeed. The, reg- <laughs> the regal in y'all when. So it's um, April 16th uh, during the Easter weekend at 6pm. So um, beyond beyond ourselves with excitement and can't thank uh, the Regal enough, and particularly Killian there, um, as they've given us the venue uh, for no charge. Um, we, we'll be charging five euros on the door, but they've actually given us the venue. So we're just incredibly excited.
4: Yeah, you put this together literally for pennies.
20: <sighs> for nothing, for minus pennies, Um like I say, um, just literally just enthusiasm and drive, I mean, to get it done in the first place, and then just everything to do with the PR uh, as well was just a lot of cold calling um, and just kind of pushing it out there, and um, it's kind of like the little movie that can, so (laughs) we're excited. Yeah, yeah. Like,
4: it's a great time to be an independent filmmaker apart from the fact that there was loads of time in lockdown to focus on your projects and now get out there and do it. It, it, And you can do it with new technologies made it easier to do.
20: Yeah, I mean, mean, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say, like, it would be 10 times cheaper, I would say, than 10 years ago. And it was 20 years ago, like 20 times. I mean, you literally for you know you could use your i have done films on my phone like a four a 400 euro iphone and it has steady it has a steady cam thing kind of built into it it mm. it, it um adjusts. it adjusts the kind of um the focus it's just it, it's an incredible time in, in that regard yeah, yeah i think um the playing field has been leveled in lots of ways very exciting which time. is amazing very
4: exciting time. yeah indeed. and also um uh, i would Talking in the week that the minister has announced this new basic income scheme mm-hmm. for artists, so very briefly because we only got about a minute, that will help people like you to develop more work,
20: won't it? Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's definitely badly needed. I mean I I was reading over a lot of it um, there, so I mean it it, it it's it's certainly great. Um, no, I mean I I wouldn't mind a little bit more info on it, but. I think one thing it might need a bit more of those mentoring. Um, I know that, that that they're saying they're going to pick. Um, I think they're going to um, once you get you get the initial uh, qualification for it, they pick a random thing of two thousand people, and that's all great. Um, I just. Um, would have liked to have seen more mention of men- mentoring and linking in I, I know sure. they would they'll have people filling out kind of forms, but I mean it but look we'll take what we can get Absolutely. and um, it, it is in it is a, a fantastic um, step up because we were behind Europe so this yeah. is great you know
4: great well listen good luck with the band delusion at the Regal cinema and y'all 16th of April uh, Easter Saturday night half past six congratulations with that and getting it into a big
2: uh, venue Jerry O'Malan. <laughs>
9: Now we just
2: talk. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
3: the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. You're listening to Highlights from The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
2: Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie.
0: Selling a little or a lot? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration Event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase
15: of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.